I think many of us can experience the presence of God, that God is with us this morning, Emmanuel. We come to celebrate that. And I'm, I've just been uh, just overjoyed with the fact that I get to come and teach this morning with the, in relationship to the passage that we're looking at, Hebrews chapter 2, 16 through 18. Uh, while this passage is, is very heady, it, it focuses on a lot of theological language of what God has done for us, uh, I believe this passage has the opportunity to set many of us free this morning. Not, not just free from, from sin. I mean, many of us have, have been saved. God has come into our life. He's changed us. He's transformed us. But we still live under the, the, the guilt and shame, the accuser. We want to be set free. I, I really hope and I pray this passage does this. And, uh, and I, I really, my desire is not just to inform our head this morning, but to inform our heart and to inform our hands. And so I, in this passage, we, we have a gift this morning. It's a gift. And in that most edifying and virtuous of all Christmas movies, Christmas Vacation, Cousin Eddie says, this is the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. And that's true about this passage. And that's what I hope that you see this morning and that we can come to see together this morning. So I've just, uh, I've invited Mindy to come up and just pray for our time this morning. Pray for us as we open God's word that we would have open eyes and ears to hear, to see the things that the Lord uh, wants to do. So Mindy, thanks for praying for us. much for your goodness. Your goodness is so apparent and so evident here. Thank you for this gathering of your children as brothers and sisters together to celebrate what you have done and what you are going to do and what you continue to do in our day to day. Thank you for giving us your son, God in flesh. That is what we are celebrating. We celebrate the fact that he is our high priest, our greatest high priest. That we used to live in a time where if we shook to the left or shook to the right a little, your wrath rained down on us. But we don't live that way anymore because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, his perfection in our place to make us righteous in your eyes. God, you are so good. You are so good for loving us this much. You love us so much we could never even begin to fully understand. And yet we ask for that, God. We ask for understanding of your love for us, for every act that you have done. There had to be bloodshed. And we used to sacrifice animals for that. But you said no more. You said, I have given you my perfect son and you don't have to shed a drop of blood. God, thank you. Thank you for being our Father. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mendy. Hebrews chapter 2, 16 through 18 says, For surely it's not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. 
Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is our passage that we're gonna focus in on this morning, Hebrews chapter two, 16 through 18. And the author of Hebrews tells us in verse 16 who Jesus came to do this for. What does it say in verse 16? Not the angels, but the offspring of Abraham, which seems kind of a unique way of kind of phrasing. You know, when my kids are running around here in the morning, people don't typically look over and like, look at them, the offspring of Justin running around, right? It's a a unique phrase. The Bible uses this phrase because we go back all the way to Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we see this promise. We see this covenant that God makes with Abraham, that he's going to make of him a great nation, that all families will be blessed through him. We read in in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, it says, look toward heaven and You can picture God and Abraham standing there and he says, look towards heaven and number the stars if you can. And that's that's going to be your offspring. That's going to be your family. I'm gonna bless them for generation and this will be your offspring. In Galatians 3, 7, it says, those of faith are sons of Abraham. Galatians 3, 29, if you are of Christ, you are the offspring of Abraham. So who does he help? It's us. He comes to to help us. And what I want you to see initially as we read verse 16 here, that for surely it's not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. The point that I want to make this morning is that Jesus is on a rescue mission for you. He's on a rescue mission for you. When we look at this word help, many of us think of coming to one's aid. But this word actually includes a lot more than just coming to one's aid. In fact, this very word when it says that he helps is actually used in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 9. It says in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 9, it says, He took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. We know the story when we look back at the Exodus. And we're like, well, where was the word help in there? The word help in there, the same Greek word, means to take them by the hand and lead them out. Same exact word. So when we think about it, it's, it's not the angels that he helps. It's the offspring of Abraham that he takes them by the hand and leads them out. And I think it's a great picture when we look back last week, when we talked about in Luke chapter 11, 21 through 22, that there is a strong man and he's standing over a palace and God sends Jesus to earth and Jesus comes in and he disarms the man at the gate and he comes in and he grabs you by the hand and he leads you out to your freedom. This is what Jesus came to do. We think about, well, that's great. Jesus helps us. No, he breaks in and he rescues you. He sets you free. 
Now, when we read this, this assumes that we as the offspring of Abraham recognize that we need help. Do you know who, who doesn't recognize that they need help? Men, right? I'm one of them. We're stubborn. My wife's like, hey, surely maybe, maybe you should call some of your friends over to help, you know, like moving a refrigerator from the basement. Uh, I think that would be a good idea. And I'm like, no, I got it. We can do this, right? We're stubborn. We would rather wait around in difficulty rather than accept help. And the same is true about our Christian faith and the life in which we live. We would rather wait around in difficulty than accept the help that God offers us. It's the definition of foolishness. What God comes to do in Jesus is he saves you from you. He breaks in, he disarms the strong man as one who is stronger, and he leads you out by his hand. He guides you to be set free. Now it tells us in this passage, how does Jesus show up? For surely it's not the angels that he helps, but he comes to help the offspring of Abraham. How does he come? He comes in, in every respect, just like his brothers. That's us. He took on our humanity. He took on our, our, our pain. He took on our suffering. And we think, well, that's, that's wild. I was, I was sitting at the, the dinner table the other night. And uh, over this past month, I decided uh, to have a crazy thought and I would go back to school. And so I decided I was going to pursue my doctorate this year. And, uh, and, and so I'm sitting there at the table and, and our kids who do not have such a, a high thought when it comes to school, they're like, why in the world would you choose to go back to school? If you ask my son, Jet, Jet's like, and I'm not going to college. It's like, why would you give up your freedom? Why would you, to enter into suffering? You know, like, dad, we're stuck with it. We're stuck with having to go to school and you're choosing it. And as unfathomable to my kids as it is that they would, like their dad would choose to go back to school, it's even more unfathomable that what we're stuck with here on earth Jesus would choose to come and enter into it. That he would come, that he would take on all of the pain, all the suffering, all the loss, that he would come in to the brokenness, the mess of our world. He would come and be like us. And he would choose that to set us free. Jesus comes to do three things in this passage. The three things that Jesus comes to do, Jesus comes as a priest. Jesus comes as a propitiator, propitiator. It's a hard word to say. It's even a harder word to define. We're going to do that this morning. And Jesus comes as a helper. These are the three roles that we see Jesus play in this passage. And the first one we're going to focus on is Jesus as priest. It says that Jesus came. He was made like us in every respect. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. What does a priest do? Well, making sacrifices in the Old Testament was not a DIY project. So it wasn't something that you, you know, gather the tools and resources and like, hey, we're going to make a sacrifice today. 
You would go to the local priest and the priest there, at the tabernacle or temple, he was responsible for receiving those offerings, for receiving those sacrifices. And he was a mediator between the people and God. He would come and, and he would make this sacrifice. He would make a sin offering on behalf of the people. In fact, we read a little bit about this in Hebrews 7, 23 and Hebrews 9, 11. You can kind of flip over there, turn in your Bible or flip up on your iPhone. Hebrews 7, 23, it describes the difference in the priesthood of Jesus and the priesthood of these Levite priests. It says in verse 23, the former priests were many in number. There were a lot of them because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. It's basically like we need to have a lot of priests because they're going to die. You know, they don't live forever. But he, Jesus, who holds this priesthood, he holds it permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the other most those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for him. For it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Why? Because he's holy, he's innocent, he's unstained, he's separated from sinners, and he's exalted above the heavens. And ultimately what we read in this passage is how different Jesus's priesthood is from the Le Levitical priesthood. They, they couldn't say that. They, they, these things wouldn't stack up. They weren't holy, they weren't innocent, they weren't unstained. When, when the priest would come and make sacrificial offerings, they weren't just making sacrificial offerings for the people, they were having to make offerings for themselves. Only Jesus could come and make sacrifice for others and solely others. But Jesus didn't just come to make sacrifice for others, he came to sacrifice himself. In Hebrews chapter nine, verse 11 and 12, we read more about this description of Jesus's priesthood. It says, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, that through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, he entered once for all into the holy places. He didn't come by the means of blood of goats and calves, but he came by his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Jesus came as our priest. He was not temporary, he was permanent. He didn't come and he, it's not something that he has to do daily, he did it once for all. He doesn't come offering animals, he comes sacrificing himself. And if there's one thing that I wanna point out about Jesus's priesthood, it's the sufficiency of Jesus's role as priest. How many of you worked a job or work a job where you are constantly on your feet. You never sit down. You're, you're constantly running around. You're constantly taking care of or caring for certain needs or constantly having to actually do manual labor and you're on your feet. Well, what's interesting is when we look at the tabernacle setting and we look at the furniture, there's, there's a basin, there's an altar, there's a table. You know what there's not in the tabernacle? A chair. There's not a chair. And the reason why is because this is not a job you get to sit down on unless you're Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, it says, but when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. He sat down. Why? Because it never has to be done 
again. The job is complete, which means what he did for sins in that moment is complete, it is finished, they are forgiven forever. That gives us assurance. I received an email from a family member the other day. My family grew up in the Catholic faith and uh, it was like a great aunt, she was 102 years old. They said that someone was on their way uh, or, or was or came or I can't remember exactly how it went but basically just described a priest was there to read last rites. I was like, that's interesting. I wonder what is, what is read in last rites. I wonder what, what, they, what they say, I wonder what was spoken over them. And, and basically in that time when someone has read their last rites, it's an apostolic pardon. And in this apostolic pardon, it, you basically offer this prayer for the remission of punishment due to sin. And I'm, I'm just sitting there and I'm reading this about a family member and I'm thinking, how sad, how sad. To never live on this earth with the assurance of what Jesus accomplished. To still go to your grave hoping, wishing, praying that it's enough. And what we see in Jesus's role as priest is it was sufficient. There is nothing else that needs to be offered. When I think about my mom's death last year, her biggest fear was not one of salvation. In her final moment, she was not fearful of death. In fact, because she had the assurance of Jesus being her high priest, it allowed her to live with her diagnosis and spend her final moments in life in peace. We talked about last week, this is what causes us not to fear death. What is it? It's our assurance in the work of Christ. It's, a, it's our assurance that it's not something we must do. It's not something that's in us. Our insurance isn't something in a priest coming to pray over us in our final moments on this earth. Why? Because we have a high priest who his sacrifice was sufficient for all. Not only is Jesus priest, but Jesus is the propitiator. In verse 17, it says that Jesus came to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's a difficult word, propitiation. Have you heard that this week? Have you been like sitting at lunch and it's like, you know, like the propitiation of Jesus. I mean, it's probably not something that we talk about regularly, but it's vitally important to our understanding of what Jesus came to do. This word shouldn't be lost on you. It's actually used in our New Testament four times describing the turning away of God's wrath by an offering. That an offering was made that caused God to divert his wrath from you towards the offering. And, and where God's wrath was poured out was poured out on Jesus. Jesus is the propitiator, propitiator. I'm gonna get these words here. See, we don't use them. Propitiation tells us a couple things. One, it tells us that God is holy. God is holy. The Bible speaks of the holiness of God, that he is set apart, that there is nothing like him. 
But not only is God holy, but, but God hates sin. He hates sin. Because of his holiness, sin is not able to even be in his presence. And God cannot overlook sin. And because of our sin, our sin brings about the wrath of God. It's something we don't speak about very often. God cannot overlook sin. And you wouldn't want God to overlook sin if he could. Why? Because it's God's holiness, it's God's sense of justice that gives us a sense of right and wrong. You wouldn't want him to overlook sin because when we look at our world and we think about the injustices of our world and the things that we face and we suffer under, we ask, God, why don't you do something? And what you're doing is you're asking for God's wrath to be poured out. You're asking God to judge. You're asking God to do something about the injustices of our world. And if God were to do that, if God were to come and judge, a lot of people would be damned. And it's God's grace that he withholds his judgment so that many would come to saving faith in Jesus. So God withholds his wrath for a time so that many would come to faith in Jesus. Because it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse, 20, uh, verse 27, and just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. What awaits us when we die is judgment unless there is a propitiator, unless the wrath of God has been diverted. So what Jesus comes to do is Jesus comes to satisfy the justice of God and the love of God, the holiness of God, and the wrath of God, it's all satisfied in Jesus. God's wrath is diverted because Jesus is the propitiator of God's wrath. You don't want him to overlook sin. If I were to tell you someone came and broke into your house and you came to me and you said, hey, Justin, uh, someone broke into my house. And I was like, hey, you know, just overlook it. Like, well, we can't overlook it. I feel violated. Somebody broke in. You want justice to be served. And you're asking God to act. So God doesn't overlook sin. Jesus takes it on. He is the propitiator. But here's the thing. I don't think we wrestle with Jesus being our propitiator, okay? When I was laying in bed this week and I'm like, okay, what does this do in my heart? Like, what are the things that I'm struggling with when I think about the propitiation of Jesus? When you think about the turning away of God's wrath, I think about like the, 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 the legal sense of I'm forgiven. My sins are no longer held against me, but, but I don't necessarily feel loved in my sin. And I, and I think we don't necessarily struggle with the legal sense of we are forgiven I think we just struggle with feeling like we deserve to be forgiven. And so there's another word. Not only is it propitiation, but it's expiation. These two words wrap up what Jesus did on the cross for you. Expiation is the legal part. Your sins are forgiven. You are cleansed. Okay? Your, your, your credit has been stamped. It's paid in full taken care of. But it is the propitiation 
It's God's attitude towards us that he's no longer a God of wrath towards us because his wrath was put out that he can actually move towards us and, and we can experience God's love. That's what it means for there to be a propitiator. Jesus was that. Not only is Jesus our priest, not only is Jesus our propitiation, but Jesus is our helper. And here's what I love about this text is because we think about these things that have happened so long ago. We read about Jesus coming and Jesus going to the cross and Jesus being our high priest and Jesus sacrificing for the sins of the people and Jesus giving him life, giving us life through his sacrifice and Jesus setting us free. And Jesus being the propitiation and turning away God's wrath, but we, we kind of struggle, like, what about the here and now? How does he help me right now? And this is where it says, Jesus went through all of this. Jesus suffered. Jesus went through all of this pain. Jesus experienced loneliness. Jesus experienced people mocking him. Jesus experienced hardship. Jesus experienced all of this so that he could be a help to you when you experience. So what it tells me is in the midst of 2020, and we look back and we're like, man, this has been a terrible year. And we're looking around and you're like, man, no one understands. No one knows what I've been through. Jesus does. Jesus does. Jesus knows what you're facing. Jesus knows what you're experiencing. Jesus knows what you're suffering under. So he didn't just come to do something in the past and what a gift that is, what a grace that is to us, but he came to be with us, Emmanuel, with us right here, right now, right here in this moment. He's come to be with us. To be in this passage, it is to be at our aid, to be our companion, to be our friend in the midst of whatever we're facing, in the midst of whatever we're suffering. Jesus is our helper. He didn't just break into history 2,000 years ago, cause some events, cause some actions, set you on a legal trajectory that sets you free. He didn't just give us a message, he gave us himself to be with us. So as you go into 2021, we're all hoping and praying that it's much better than 2020. I just wanna remind you that what happened Christmas time 2000 years ago is Jesus broke in to be with you in your hardship and in your suffering and to let you know, as the passage says, he is able, he's able, he's able. Some texts say that he is not unable, which means he is more than able. He is more than capable. He is sufficient to care for you no matter what you are facing. That's why Jesus came. 
He came to be our help. He came to rescue us. Paul Tripp says there's three prayers that he prays every single day. These are three prayers that I think we should adopt and pray. It says, one, God, I'm a man in desperate need of help this morning. That's all of us. I pray in your grace that you would send helpers my way. And number three, I pray that you would give me the humility to receive the help that comes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the good news that's received in this passage this morning. Thank you for being our our high priest. Thank you for being our propitiator diverting the wrath of God away from us so that we could be loved and accepted by God the Father. Thank you, God. Help us to be reminded of that. Help us to be set free. Help us to understand fully the sufficiency of what Jesus did, that Jesus was the sufficient sacrifice. And Lord, let us know that you're with us. Lord, thank you for coming. Thank you for breaking in. Thank you for stepping into the brokenness of our world to change our world, to change us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.